Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the How of Car Washing. This is your host, David Begin, and I'm continuing my conversation with Bevan Luna, who's an industrial hygienist with Colorado State University. She's with the OSHA Consultation Program in Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, we actually did a, we did a mock OSHA inspection with Bevan uh, in the fall of 2018. So I'm, we're talking about uh, what the overall program does. But then I want to get a little bit more specific about OSHAN and what, what typically happens if for some reason you get the, uh, the benefit or the fortunate experience of an OSHAN showing up on your site. So I want to talk about just kind of that OSHA process that they go through uh, for inspections. And you were talking about some different types of inspections I think OSHA does. And then let's talk about car washing in general. What are some things that you've seen? You know, let's talk about the highlights. I'll talk about the highlights of our inspection some things that you found and and then just generally, you know, if you're starting from scratch and you say, man, I, I haven't, I have no safety program. What are the three or four or five things maybe that, that a car wash owner could do um, to, you know, kind of start developing a safety program. But let's talk about OSHA. So OSHA is coming to my site. What do they give me notice? Do they not give me notice? What can I do? What can I not do? Let's walk through that whole process. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's oftentimes the first question we get. We uh, we see a lot of different types of visits from OSHA. Um, I think the most common thing would be a programmed visit. So we like to joke and say that that's when you win the OSHA lottery and OSHA shows up at your front door. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the programmed visits are basically um, randomized visits and OSHA will show up and they'll present their credentials and say that, you know, it's sort of like the health department showing up for food safety inspections at restaurants. Um, right. They want to walk through and um, see your facility and see your operations and interview your employees and see if there are any gaps in your training, um, see if there are any hazards that employees are actively being exposed to, um, any concerns as far as, you know, access to medical services, first aid, things like that, um, emergency action planning, all sorts of fire safety questions, um, just sort of the general wall-to-wall inspection. Um, another type of visit that you can have would be, say, for example, if one of the employees called and filed a complaint. So in those situations, you can either um, get a phone call or a fax from OSHA and they'll say, you know, we received this complaint. Um, please look into this and let us know what you're going to do to correct that. And oftentimes um, a written response or a phone call back to them is adequate, but sometimes they will actually come and respond on site to the complaint, depending on how severe the complaint is. Um, okay. And then another one would be a referral. Um, so there are referrals from different types of um, agencies. So say, you know, CDPHE is working with uh, a company for food safety, and then they realize there is a, you know, occupational health and safety issue. They can oftentimes refer clients over to OSHA, depending on their work with them. So um, I would say those are the three main types of visits. And then um, the last one that we really hate to see it's unfortunate when it does but when there is a serious accident or a fatality um osha right. will come out to do an investigation for things like that so okay um, so there, there there's osha reporting requirements for 
injuries. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because we, we do have those documents at our car wash, but what am I required to fill out if there is an, an injury and what are the conditions that require me to fill out that document? Um, so there's a difference, and I think sometimes it's not very clear, between the OSHA recordables and OSHA's reporting requirements. So OSHA recordables are injuries that occur in the workplace that require anything beyond first aid. So say, for example, someone slips and falls and they have to go get an x-ray and the x-ray comes back and they've actually broken something. That's, that's, they would get treated for something beyond first aid in that situation. Um, and then there are types of injuries where it's reportable through your workers comp, but it's not necessarily recordable through OSHA's injury and illness log. So um, we do provide some training regarding record keeping requirements. If anyone's ever interested in that, we can definitely get into the details, but there is a specific list of criteria for what's recordable based on OSHA's um, requirements. Okay. So that's just for the annual injury and illness reporting. And then if you have a serious accident, say for example, someone is hospitalized, or if you have a fatality or an amputation, or if someone loses an eye, um, those types of things need to be reported directly to OSHA through um, their phone number. You call them and tell them that you've had an incident that is severe enough to have somebody in the hospital or an amputation or something like that, um, or a fatality, and that's within 24 hours of the incident. Yeah, that, that's probably pretty hard to remember for someone because you're already traumatized right. by the experience as a business owner. What happens if you don't meet that 24-hour requirement? Or is there somebody like will help you with that? Is there a law enforcement person or medical people that will help you with that or you just have to remember? Yeah, I mean, um, especially if you have a situation where fatalities involve, oftentimes um, the police will show up and they definitely will provide the reminder that you need to report that to OSHA or they'll contact OSHA themselves. Um, but it is good to, you know, remind companies that, there are reporting requirements because a lot of times, like you said, if, you know, if an employee is hospitalized and you're at the hospital with them, you're thinking more about, you know, making sure that they're okay and communicating with their families and things like that. And it does fall to the bottom of the list to report it to OSHA. So it is good to just make sure that companies understand that there are reporting requirements on top of just the regular, you know, annual injury and illness logs that are due at the end of the year. Yeah. And does workers' compensation programs help you with this or do they work in conjunction with OSHA? So if you did report a, you know, serious injury, would they remind you or is there any, any synergy there? Yes, they definitely would remind you. Um, it, it seems in the situations that I've been involved with, um, workers' comp has definitely been great at working with the client and ensuring that, you know, they're reporting everything that they need to to OSHA as soon as possible because oftentimes that's the first person that they'll contact is their workers' comp provider. And then yeah. at that point, that triggers them to tell them that they need to report it to OSHA. Okay. Okay. So you might get some help there. So I think when you were on site, you were telling me that, it, do you designate somebody to be a safety officer? And can you, can you tell the OSHA person, wait until the manager gets there? Or what was, what was kind of the, the process behind that if you wanted to be on site during the inspection? Yeah, definitely. If you have someone who is at your reception desk, we, we recommend that you train them on who to contact and who's your, who's your representative with regards to health and safety if OSHA ever does show up. Um, we basically just coach people to say, 
you know, please, you know, have a seat. Thank you for your patience. We need to contact our manager or our safety manager, whoever that person might be who's designated as that representative. Um, and typically they're pretty, they're pretty good about waiting until that person shows up so that, that they can take them on the tour of the facility. It is important that if, you know, there's a complaint for a specific area that they wait outside of the facility in the waiting area, just so they're not sort of wandering around in the entire facility um, because they, they technically are there to look specifically at that complaint. It, it's nice to, you know, have sort of a spiel with the person who's at the front desk so they don't just kind of go blank and not know what to say and just let them wander around. It's, it's nice if they feel a little bit prepared and have a little bit of training on what to expect if OSHA does show up. Um, but you can absolutely tell them to wait until, you know, the preferred person can show up and, and take them on the walkthrough. Right. Okay. So this is an enforcement agency. So it's, I, I equate the, the Federal Aviation Administration also an enforcement agency. So it's not innocent until proven guilty. It's not, you don't have due process in these, these type of things. It's, you know, it's very much an enforcement organization. Yes, it is an enforcement organization. Um, typically what happens is they'll arrive and have an opening conference to let the ownership know why they've, they have come to conduct an audit or an inspection. And then after the opening conference, they'll walk around the facility with you and ask questions and interview employees and do accident investigations if that applies. Um, and then at the end of the visit, they'll sit down and have a closing conference to discuss their findings and tell you, you know, if there's serious hazards or other than serious hazards. Um, and then sometime after that, you receive a report with the final penalties um, from that visit. And then you can actually take the opportunity to go and have an informal conference if you choose to do so after the fact. And oftentimes a lot of the fees and penalties will be reduced through that process. Um, if you can provide any sort of justification or documentation as to why you were um, conducting your operations the way you were, um, if there's any sort of clarification that needs to be provided regarding the use of a piece of equipment. Say, for example, the compliance officer thought that the piece of equipment wasn't being used safely, but then you have supporting documentation to prove that that's actually how the manufacturer intended it to be used, and it was approved by that manufacturer, then that could sometimes result in a reduction of penalties. Okay. But is is it worth going in and trying to negotiate those penalties down and just seeing what you get? I would say so. Um, I think it's challenging for some companies, though, when they, they're they pretty far from Denver and it's hard for them to, you know, travel for two days to get, um, say, from Cortez, Colorado over to Denver to right. um, clarify a, a small little uh, citation or say, you know, say if it's a mislabeled portable container with chemicals in it, it might not be worth the trip over to contest something like that. So it just, it really depends on the amount of the citation and, you know, how much the company can actually afford and if they actually feel that they were in the wrong or if they feel that they actually were doing things according to the manufacturer's instructions. It's, it's really case by case, honestly. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about car washing real quick. So boy, that brings up so many things in terms yeah. of car washing. When you stay mis mislabeled containers, it's mm -hmm. it's like our, you know, it's our number one problem in the car wash business is probably mislabeled containers. But yeah. Uh so you you've done a, a number of car wash inspections. Is that correct? I know you've been to our site, but if you've done a few more, I think, if that's correct. Yeah, I think maybe I've done six or so over the course of my time here working at uh 
consultation. Like I said, we do cover all industries. So it, it's sort of all over the place with regards to manufacturing or construction or, um, okay. you know, car washes have been on the list a lot more recently though. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to be a little bit more careful to make sure we're not on the OSHA radar. But yeah. when, when, when you did the inspection, you said we, we generally were in pretty good shape, which I appreciate. But we Yeah. This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Whether you are a new investor or a seasoned operator looking to make improvements, the experienced team at Focus can help you every step of the way. For more information, please go to FocusedCarWash.com. Some of the more common things I think that we have to deal with is chemicals. So that, that's mm -hmm. a big one for us. So what are some, what are the, what, what's the, you know, the, the top 10 hit parade on chemicals that we need to be thinking about? Well, um, hazard communication is the name of the standard that covers all of the chemicals that you use in car wash, um, in the car wash industry. Mm -hmm. And hazard communication is the number one most frequently cited standard um, across the board. It is really easy to find anything out of compliance in that area because there's so much to it. Um, I would definitely say prioritize that, especially in your industry, by having a, a written program in place that covers all the requirements from OSHA. Um, and we have templates available that are public information out on OSHA's website. We have them available. We can email them out to people. I could send them to you and you can share them with people. Um, it is great to just have access to those because people don't have to, you know, reinvent the wheel by writing everything up. It's just sort of all the required information and then you can put your company's name into it. And then the big part that's important is once you have that written program in place, provide training to your employees so they understand the hazards of the chemicals they're working with. Right. Um, I think that's a really big part that's missing. Oftentimes people sort of put together a written program put it on the shelf and they never open it again. Um, and then when their employees are interviewed, they have no idea what their HASCOM policy even talks about. So right. I think that's the big thing is helping people to understand that they have a right to know what the risks are associated with those chemicals that they're using on a daily basis. Taking an inventory of all of your chemicals is very important. So having a list of everything available um, and then also following that up with a safety data sheet for each chemical that's on site. That's a really easy um, find that people get hit with all of the time. And it's uh, a really easily avoidable find if you can, you know, just be organized and keep track of all the information that you need to have handy in case it needs to be accessed at any point by your employees. Yeah. And so I, I, I heard that even if it's a household chemical you use, if it's in an, a commercial or industrial area, you still have to have SDS sheet. Is that correct? You know, the HASCOM standard does have certain exceptions. And so that covers any sort of consumer products, say, for example, Windex or, you know, WD-40, um, anything that, that you would use at home doesn't technically fall under the HASCOM standard. Um, I have heard compliance officers make the argument that even if it's a household product, if it's being used in a commercial setting, then it's not being used at a consumer level, right? So right. I always encourage people just to go ahead and have those printed out for those household products as well, because then there's no, there's no arguing about it. It's just you have it available and, you know, what is it 
five more SDSs that you print on top of everything else that you already have out in the car wash. I think it's just sort of a safer way to go. Right. You know, I would agree with that. And I think we've got it on everything we've got. So yeah. you know, we, we, we try to keep up with that. But so what, what's a second or third area do you think is the biggest area of car washes that we, we, uh, we typically stumble over? Well, I think um, electrical safety is a really big one for you guys, especially since, you know, you have a water use location and you, you have all of these electrical components um, and that goes into lockout tagout procedures as well. So making sure that you have um, really solid written lockout tagout procedures that everyone's been trained on. If you have to shut down any piece of equipment that's going to be moving, um, they need to make sure that it's completely de-energized before they're going to be servicing it or moving in areas where they could be struck by any piece of that equipment. And I think the written procedures sometimes are difficult for people to get a grasp on, but there are a lot of great resources available. A lot of the companies that manufacture the equipment have um, written lockout tagout procedures they could provide to you. Also, like I said earlier, your workers' compensation carrier is really great at helping with any sort of assistance with keeping employees safe in those situations as well. You know, I, I think the one thing I found, so, so one thing we found, I think, when you went through our wash was we had a number of electrical violations, and that's probably due to a lot of the fact that we don't have certified electricians on staff, and we start right. stringing stuff up and hooking things up, and everybody is a shade tree electrician. Mm-hmm. And then when you start looking at things, you go, well, this isn't really up to code and it's not safe and it's not right. And, and uh, you know, we spent a lot of effort and even, you know, had an electrician come out to fix a lot of those issues that you found. But I would say that's probably an area that most car washes, if you ended up getting an OSHA inspection, you know, the OSHA inspector's head would start spinning. Yeah. They look at some of these car washes and the way they're wired up because it's just not right. Yeah, and I think, you know, we see a lot of flexible cables being used um, for permanent use when they're really intended to be for temporary use. Um, We see a lot of, you know, flat cables that don't have proper insulation being used. Um, We see a lot of ground pins missing from um, any sort of extension cords that that are in use for fans or things like that. Um, Those are the kinds of things that they're really easy to catch by both OSHA enforcement and compliance, and also that's really easy to correct in-house, you know? So I think getting together a really great inspection program and delegating that to employees so they know what to look for is a great training tool. Um, It's a good way to start getting people to look for safety, um, any sort of items as they're walking through your facility, just to kind of keep their eyes out for things like that. Because, you know, those things change on a daily basis. Sometimes people bump into things and you have a a broken electrical plate covering an outlet or say uh, an electrical junction box gets knocked off the wall and it's sort of hanging loosely with, you know, exposed cables, things like that. Um, Those things are constantly happening and it's just, it needs to be under constant surveillance in order to always be up to speed with those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think in some cases you should be bringing in a uh, certified master electrician or someone along those lines to do work if it's pretty complicated. But, you know, even get your electrician to go through the place and start looking at things, you know, every six months or every 12 months and cleaning up things that maybe you did quickly, uh, get them come back and make sure it's correct. Yeah, and really doing research up front um, before hiring just any any person to come out and conduct work at your your job site, I think 
um, maybe getting some references from people and seeing examples of their previous work, I think would be helpful too, just so people aren't sort of throwing things together. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very easy to do because you're in such a hurry in the car wash industry to get back up and running. You're doing right. it at night and you want to go home or mm -hmm. you know, something broke down and you're just getting it wired up to get back running, but you've got to go back and get that, get that fixed properly. Right. And then I think the other thing, the third thing, if I think might've been some of our, our signage and labeling, like uh, our confined spaces and might've been the other, the third thing that uh, you made some suggestions that we improve. Yeah, I, I know that um, there was a confined space there that wasn't labeled. And um, even if you're not entering those spaces, you do have to have certain um, things in place to make employees aware that it is a hazardous location and that they should not be entering those spaces. You don't need a particular written program for that if you're not entering them and doing work, but we have seen some people get dinged for not having signage on confined spaces as far as, you know, if you have any vaults that people go into underground, if you have any water tanks that people could possibly go into, that was, that was definitely something on our list during our yeah. walkthrough. I think some of the other concerns were noise. I remember yeah. um, occupational noise being a, a huge issue at car washes um, just because you have a continuous noise source and employees are in and out and it's just sort of an ongoing issue with hearing loss in, in the U.S. So I, I think people forget that that's actually an occupational illness and they expose themselves all day to these elevated noise levels and then 10 years down the road they have hearing loss. So. Yeah, That's another no. really big one. Yeah, agreed with that. Agreed with that. And, and just for the car wash owners out there, what what uh, the confined tanks she was talking about was our RO, our reverse osmosis storage tanks, um, which are typically plastic, and then they've got a little, maybe a two foot, three foot, uh, kind of a spinning top, you know, cap on it that you could, if you had to crawl in the tank, you can crawl in that. So, any any tanks that you've got in your equipment room that store water, you know, those are candidates for confined spaces. And you just need to get a, get a label on it. It says this is confined space, no entry. Forgot the sign that we got. I, we've got them on there, but I can't remember what it said. But just letting people know that there's there's no entry in, into that confined space or or a permit's required, I think, was the other other label we had for it. Yeah, probably permit required confined space, authorized entry only, something along those lines. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, when you were on site, I think you you encouraged us to get uh, get the hearing test. You want to say that word again? I can't say it. Well, so there's two types of tests. So you have a audiometric testing, so that actually go. tests your ability to hear, because you at least get a baseline for all of your employees. Um, but then also doing the actual noise monitoring, which would be personal dosimetry. dosimetry. So that's yeah. So that's when you put a noise monitor on people and you actually measure the levels of noise throughout the facility as opposed to measuring their ability to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we actually went through our workers' compensation. I think you recommended us going to our workers' comp program in Colorado. It's Pinnacle is kind of the state-run mm -hmm. workers' compensation. And they did come out a month, couple months later and did that testing and found that the level was just underneath their threshold. Fantastic. Uh, for issues. So we, yeah, we went ahead and did that. So I appreciate that comment Good. and that recommendation. But if, if it is above the acceptable level, then what typically is required? Typically, you have to have a hearing conservation program implemented. It doesn't necessarily have to be a written program like hazard communication, but you do have to have training documentation um, showing that you've made your employees aware of the risks associated with elevated noise levels. 
Um, you have to do audiometric testing for all of your employees. So you have to make sure that you get baseline hearing tests for everyone. And then with that baseline hearing test, you retest annually to see if there's a decrease in their ability to hear over the years. Um, if there is a standard threshold shift, if there's a decrease in their ability to hear, then that would be recorded just as if, you know, somebody cut off their finger um, or if they, you know, sprained their ankle and had to go have, you know, physical therapy, things like that. So um, I think that's a big one for people yeah. to remember. Um, a lot of times we've had people have audiometric tests done, but then they never evaluate them to see if the ability to hear is reducing. Meanwhile, they've had this employee who's constantly losing their hearing over a five-year period, and it was never even recorded. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, as far as uh, the record keeping associated with your hearing conservation program would be, you know, sign-in sheets and rosters to show signatures that employees, you know, have participated in the training and they do understand that they need to wear hearing protection um, when they're out on the floor if, if, if the elevated levels are above all of the OSHA action levels and uh, permissible exposure limits. Yeah. So what we do now is we make hearing hearing plugs, earplugs available to our employees who are working in the tunnel. So if they're loading cars, we've made that available to them and actually encourage them to use it. And if they're in the equipment room, I think the back room, as you remember, Bevan, yeah, was noisy with the air compressors and everything else going on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we would be, you know, we we sort of require that hearing protection is used back there so people can grab a a pair of earmuffs and put them over their ears if they're going to spend any extended amount of time. If they're just going to walk through, that's fine. But if they're going to be back there working on equipment, right. repairing an item or, you know, doing chemical inventory, it probably makes sense for them to wear hearing protection. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this world is a loud place. So anywhere that you can reduce your exposure to noise, it definitely helps your long-term ability to hear. Yeah. Save it for the rock concerts, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Save it for the fun times <laughs> on the weekends. Don't lose it through yeah. work, you know? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So um, just kind of wrapping up here, a um, couple things. So if if we've guilted people into saying, man, I don't have anything going on at my car wash, <laughs> what what would you recommend? How would they start? I mean, and it's, it's, a, it's a big hill and I get it, but give them, you know, two or three things that they can do to kind of get started. Well, I think really understanding what um, your industry code is, is a really important way to start because then based on that industry code, you know what OSHA's frequently cited um, standards are. So you can find that information out on their website. You can go to their statistics page and find um, your specific car wash industry. And it literally gives you a list of the top items that OSHA finds when they go to car washes. Okay. And if you look at that list, you can start looking through the materials available on OSHA's website um, to help get those items in place. Um, one of the best things that I like to recommend is to look at the OSHA Small Business Handbook. Okay. Um, it has a table of contents in it that covers everything, at least in general industry, and we'll just stay with that since you guys are in general industry with car washes. Um, just going through that, that table of contents and picking out the items that apply to your, your operations is really helpful. Um, you can put together an annual training matrix and sort of look at different areas to address throughout the year. And then by the end of the year, you know, say you've got eight items that you covered and then you continue to sort of build your health and safety program on that. Um, I can tell you off the top of my head right now, hazard communication is a huge one, looking at all your chemicals and your inventory, um, emergency action planning, making sure you have a, a plan in place in case there's any sort of, you know, tornadoes, fires, um, 
and then also making sure that you know you have your uh, eye wash facilities and any sort of PPE required in place because those are all really big items for what you guys do. Right. Um, and then you start digging into the the more complicated programs as far as lockout tagout procedures and electrical safety. Um, but yeah, I'd be happy to provide that uh, small business handbook to for yeah. you to share with people if you'd like to do that. Okay. Yeah. If you, if you, if you want to send me an email with some links and then I'll, I'll put those in the show notes. And so people can go to our website and look at the podcast and they can refer to those links if they want more information. So. And then one other thing um, to look at would be like I recommended to you guys work with your uh, workers' compensation carrier. They're always a great resource. And I feel like businesses pay all these premiums um, for insurance coverage and then they forget to reach out when they need help. Um, that's what they're there for. And they definitely provide a great service. So um, take advantage of what you're paying for. No, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, for some reason, they contacted me maybe five or six years ago about doing hearing tests and, you know, doing some air sampling, too. And I, I kind of blew them off. And I kind of, you know, now that I think about it, that wasn't a very smart move. I should have taken advantage of that. We have from a hearing perspective, but we ought to see what other programs because they're, you know, they're they're on our side of the table when it comes to safety. They don't want people to get hurt because right. it costs them money, but you know, and we don't want people to get hurt because it's bad for business and it, you know, it's not good, good for us personally. So, yeah. you know, we need to think about those worker compensation uh, carriers as kind of a team members, you know, to help us create these safety programs. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So if people want to find out more information uh, from you directly. Where would you send them? You could send them to my email address if you'd like. Okay. And, then, and that's, you mean to tell you? Yeah, go ahead. It's uh, Bevin, B-E-V-I-N dot Luna, L-U-N-A, at colostate.edu. So that's C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Yeah, that, that's the other university in Colorado. So my kids went to see you, Bevin. Oh, go Rams. Yeah, go, go, go Buffs. So <laughs> we've, uh, we've kind of been back and forth on that. But, uh, you know, I, I love Fort Collins and I love CSU and what they're doing. And I really appreciate this program. You know, I, I've kind of had a mental mind shift as far as safety is concerned. And I really appreciate what you guys do and, you know, the services that you guys offer to really create a safe work environment for employees, you know, and I, I, you know, and I, I reluctantly appreciate what OSHA does too. I think it's an important, important uh, agency. And I, you know, I think we do have a responsibility to keep our workers safe. And, and I know if we didn't have somebody like OSHA, there'd be a lot of corporations and in, in places that would not be safe to work. And, you know, that's the way it was in the thirties. You know, when you think about people working on the Golden Gate Bridge and, you know, there'd be guys standing around waiting for somebody to fall off you know, that, 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 that was the first time if I, I told the story, but it was the first time I think they put safety nets underneath a bridge construction and uh, fatalities went down considerably, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like to think about it um, like this. I, I know that, that people are scared of OSHA enforcement and compliance. Um, and I, I do agree that sometimes there are some nitpicky things that seem sort of unreasonable. Um, but then when you think about the extreme of that, the extreme opposite is, you know, there are a lot of places around the world that don't have an administration like OSHA in place. And the intent behind it is to keep people safe and imagine not having it in place at all. You know, what our fatality rates and our injury rates would be like without it. So 
Yeah. Um, I think the intent is good. I know that there are little uh, details about it that people don't agree with. And I, I, I can assure people that I don't agree with all of it either, but um, the intent is there um, to keep people safe and um, hopefully get people home to their families every night. Yeah, absolutely. And you can go to YouTube and watch those videos of other countries, you know, work conditions mm-hmm. where guys have ladders upon ladders upon motor scooters. Yeah. Right. Upon, upon a forklift, upon who knows what else. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. to watch that. And you think, gosh, you know, that's that's perfectly acceptable work standards over there. So, you know, we right. need to feel fortunate that we're in such a country where safety is important. It's it's emphasized and, and you know, making sure we take our responsibility as as owners to 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 do the right things for our employees. You know, we're asking to do the right thing and that that's all they're asking for. So Right. Yep. Good. Bevan, thank you so much. This was so fascinating and I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming out and spending time with us and I've learned a lot and I will continue on my journey for for a safe car wash. So thanks so much. Great. Thank you so much for having me and um, please reach out if you guys need anything at all. Yeah, appreciate it. So thank you for listening to this episode of the How of Car Washing. And again, if you'd like to go to Apple iTunes or Stitcher, leave a comment or a rating for us, we'd love it. And if you want to take a look at the show notes for these resources, go to our website at the www.thehowofcarwashing.com. And this is your host, David Begin. Thanks for joining me. And we'll talk to you next time on The How of Car Washing. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.